But have been seen as good luck devices, they've been seen as a way to ward off evil, and they've also been seen as evil omens themselves. So what exactly is it about bats that we find so fascinating and frightening? Keep on listening to find out. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Cedric. I hope you've all had a marvellous start to 2020, whatever it is that you've been getting up to. My 2020 has been rather peculiar so far, but I won't bore you with the details. Now, we are starting off our new theme, which is the Creatures of the Night. And I've gone with these ones mainly because of the fact that it's it's dark in the Northern Hemisphere, even though the sun's supposed to be coming back. And what better time to have a look at these reviled creatures than January. So we're starting off with bats. And if you say the word bats to most people, they'll think one of two things. They'll either picture a version of Batman. My favourite Batman is Michael Keaton, for anyone who was wondering. Or they'll think of legions of versions of Dracula exploding into a cloud of bats or hovering at the window of an all-too-willing victim. Obviously, depending on when the Dracula was made, depends on how good the bat is. It's hovering at the window. But in truth, bats are absolutely incredible creatures and they really are unlike anything else on Earth. They're actually divided into two groups. So you've got the mega bats, which are things like the flying fox or the fruit bat. And then you've got the micro bat, which is what we see in the UK, it's like the pipistrelle and so on. The megabats actually use sight and smell to find food, whereas microbats use echolocation, and that's where they basically send out like a form of sonar and then get the pings coming back, and then that's where they can work out where things are. And because they use sound to navigate, a lot of people think that they're actually blind, but they're not. Bats are also the only mammals that can fly, but one thing I do want you to remember is that the bones supporting the membrane of their wings are actually technically fingers, so when they're flying, they're really doing jazz hands. And if you can still think that bats are creepy knowing that, then I feel quite sorry for you. Now, most bats are nocturnal and they do like roosting in dark spaces, and you'll see some houses in the UK at least have got bat boxes on the outside, and some developers are starting to build like bat roosts into the wall because obviously they'd rather go in there than necessarily in your attic because they are protected in the UK but because bats come out at night they've obviously got a lot less competition for food so they're ideally placed there they've got a lot fewer predators and they've got much cooler temperatures for hunting and given they are furry that would probably be quite helpful Incidentally, they do help to pollinate and spread seeds within rainforests and other tropical environments and their poo, guano, is used for fertiliser. So they're really important members of any ecosystem and we really should be celebrating them instead of fearing them. That being said, there obviously is quite a lot of folklore attached to them and that is what we're going to have a look at now. Now, because they're the only mammal that can fly, there are various origin myths that try to explain why that is. And there's a Roman fable that actually claimed there was once a battle between mammals and the birds. And the bat sat on the sidelines and just decided not to join in and was just basically watching the action without choosing a side. And then when the god Mars named birds as the winner of the battle, the bat decided to throw his lot in with them and so gained flight. Whereas Gary McCracken actually relates a pair of Native American origin myths for the bat. And in a Cherokee version of the story, the animals challenged the birds to a ball game. 
And there's these two little mouse-like creatures that want to play on the animal side. So the animal side is full of quite large animals like bears and deer. So they laughed at these two little mouse-like creatures and turned them away. They still wanted to play. So they then went and asked the eagle, who was the captain of the bird side, if they could play for the birds instead. And the birds felt quite sorry for them. So they actually fashioned one of the creatures a pair of wings from groundhog skin. And this one became the bat. They didn't have enough skin left for a second bat, so instead they turned this one into a flying squirrel. And because of these two new creatures, the birds actually won. In the other version of the story, the bat asks to play with the birds, but they say no, and the animals accept it, but then give it teeth so it's more mammal-like. And in this version, the animals win with the bat's help. But either way, the varying origin myths sort of draw quite a lot of attention to the fact that the bat sits between mammals and birds. And usually the bat picks one side or the other. But really it's more just about the fact that they're kind of, you know, they are a mammal that can fly, but they're not a bird, if that makes sense. Now, obviously, bats are quite ancient animals that they've been around for thousands of years. So obviously there's quite a lot of ancient folklore attached to them. And according to Thomas Kunz, the ancient Egyptians actually thought that bats could prevent or cure poor eyesight. They could help with toothache, fever and also baldness. So they would hang bats over doorways to stop any demons who carried these particular diseases or afflictions from getting into the house. Whereas in ancient Roman Greece, people believed that putting a figure of a bat under a pillow could actually prevent sleep. And this is possibly due to the bat's links with nighttime and nocturnal activity. So this wouldn't necessarily be something that you would do for your own benefit. It would probably be something that you do to someone else. But it wasn't all bad, because in China, bats actually represent good fortune and happiness. So you do quite often see them in old tapestries or on imperial robes. And Kunz actually relates an old Chinese custom for sewing bat-shaped jade buttons onto caps for babies, which would ensure that they lived a long life. So it's quite fascinating how in these two completely different cultures, a bat can be a, a means of warding off affliction, and then somewhere else they're actually a way to ensure a long life. And also, according to the website crystalwind.ca, bats actually represented the souls of the dead in both Tonga and ancient Babylonia, which makes a change from it usually being seen as a butterfly representing the soul elsewhere. And Patty Wigington notes that the Mayans had a god called Kamazots who had a bat head and wings and the body of a man, and there are some drones of him online, and he really does look quite terrifying. And Kamazots actually lived in a cave known as the House of Bats, and quite a lot of websites do refer to him as the Batman, and I do kind of wonder how many people would do that if Batman wasn't already a thing. And sometimes Kamazots is referred to as the god of death, and his particular favourite move was to attack victims by biting them around the neck and then decapitating them. So that's nice. You can imagine if you were one of the Spanish conquistadors and you came across that, you would be a bit like, okay, this is mildly terrifying. There are scholars who think that Kamazots was actually inspired by a giant bat which may be extinct now. Obviously, if we move forward to the Middle Ages, in medieval Europe, many people thought that bats actually worked as witches' familiars. Some in Scotland and Northern England actually thought the bats carried messages between the devil and witches. There was a horrific case in 1332 in France where Lady Giacomo of Bayonne was actually burned just because bats flew around her house and in her garden. So despite the fact that this is probably quite logical for bats to possibly be roosting in the attics or whatever and then eating the insects in the area, people decided, oh no, there's bats flying so she must be a witch. This is the kind of mindset that we're dealing with. But then elsewhere, this is where you start seeing the link between bats and magic. And in Austria's Tyrol region, it was actually believed that a bat's left eye would make a man invisible when he wore it. Why it had to be the left eye, I don't know, but there we go. 
But whereas in Germany, if you bound a bat's heart to your arm with red thread, it made you lucky at cards. I, I can kind of understand why an eye might make you invisible. It's kind of like that inversion of, well, an eye is to see, so therefore it could make you invisible. But I really can't see any link between a bat's heart and being lucky at cards. That one is a new one to me. And according to crystalwind.ca, bat's blood actually carried quite a lot of impressive properties and it could help you see in the dark if you washed your face in it. It could make women more lusty by putting it under their pillow. It could make both men and women more passionate by adding it to their drink. Or you could add it to flying ointment for an extra boost. Obviously flying ointment is usually the likes of belladonna and so on, which you can find out more about in the broomstick episode of the podcast. But it wasn't just bat blood that was useful. You could carry a bat bone in your pocket for good luck, and powdered bat's heart could actually stop a bullet. Now, I've no idea if anybody ever tried this to see if it actually did or not, but that was indefinitely what people believed. Now, I have to remember that this is an age when superstition and magical belief was absolutely rife. And bats become quite an obvious target for this kind of folklore because they exist in a very liminal space. Now, you might have seen the word liminal kicking around before, and it basically just means something that's on the cusp that lies between two states. So dawn and dusk are both liminal times of day because they're neither nighttime nor daytime. Doors are often considered like liminal because of the fact that they're neither one room nor the other. Crossroads, which we've talked about before, they're liminal spaces because they're neither one place nor another. So this is where, because bats come out at twilight and they live in caves and tunnels and they're mammals but they fly like birds, they're very much seen as being liminal creatures because it's almost like they're in between. They're obviously not, but this is the way people would have seen it. And while we have a lot of understanding of these quite fascinating creatures now, people in earlier times might possibly have seen their unusual qualities as being supernatural because they didn't have access to the science yet. Now, obviously, because we're talking about these strange beliefs, we'll have to talk about superstitions involving bats. And according to Coraline Daniels and Sam Stevens, bat bites would never heal. Now, there is a teeny tiny element of truth in that because if it was a vampire bat... Their saliva actually contains an anticoagulant which stops blood from clotting while they feed. But to say that the wound would never heal is a little bit extreme. And also, the chances of you getting bitten by a vampire bat are actually quite small. And Daniels and Stevens also collected a range of other superstitions about bats. And they say that there were bad omens and that they predicted death. Although, if you saw bats who flew late in the evening, it meant fair weather was on the way. And that's entirely possible due to the likes of air pressure and so on. Might create different patterns of when the insects come out or whatever, so you would then see more bats. So some of these superstitions occasionally feel like they have a grounding in reality, and then other ones you're just like, I have no idea where that came from. Daniels and Stevens also say that it's unlucky to kill bats that get into your room. I mean, I would say it's unlucky to kill bats anyway, but there we go. And instead, it's a good omen if the bats get into your room and then land on something for a moment. And it's a sign of good luck if a bat gets into your kitchen and then hangs onto the ceiling immediately. Whereas if they just continue flying around, it's an omen of bad luck. And they even say that the flight pattern of bats becomes important. Because if they fly around the house three times, it's a bad omen. And if a bat circles your head three times, it predicts a death. So you've basically got to keep an eye on how much the bats are flying around. And another superstition actually said that killing a bat meant you would die soon. And a belief in Italy said that the mere presence of a bat could actually bring on convulsions. And apparently someone tested this by having a bat in a box that a guy couldn't see. And this guy was brought into a room 
And he didn't know the bat was there, but he still had convulsions anyway. I don't think that sounds massively scientific. But obviously superstitions can often be contradictory and very rarely rely on any actual truth. And Gary McCracken notes that folklore from Nova Scotia about bats landing on something in your house varies quite substantially from what Daniels and Stevens say. So they say it's good luck, but McCracken says it actually meant the death of a man in the family. If the bat flew in and didn't land on anything, it would mean that a woman in the family would die. And to make it even more confusing, an Illinois superstition claimed that a bat getting into the house and staying for a while meant that a death would occur in the house, whereas if the bat sort of flew in and then flew back out again, it meant that a relative would die. So, either way, not a good omen. And to be fair, with some of the beliefs, bats didn't even need to get into the house because people in western New York believed that a bat flying around a house while a dog howled meant someone in the house would die. So they're just layering on omens and superstitions. I mean, they should have had owls in there and they would have got the hat trick. But in Arkansas, just dreaming about a bat flying into your house was enough to kill a dear friend. So people really had quite a problem with bats. So why are there so many superstitions linking them to death? You do have to remember that people often viewed them as either being evil spirits or in league with the devil. So if a bat got into your house, they would then bring all of these dark associations with them. Obviously, nowadays we realise that bats are really beneficial. And quite honestly, the, the worst a bat could really do if it got into your house is potentially, if it did bite you, potentially pass on rabies. But obviously most bats don't really bite or if they've got fleas or anything, they could potentially pass things on that way. But, you know, the the whole, oh, it's flown around three times thing, that just seems a bit excessive. But obviously we do have to talk about the whole bats biting people thing, because they do become quite evil omens. And the problem that you have is when they're used as an ingredient in a witch's brew, they're really no different to frogs or snails, which are also quite common ingredients. And they're just like passive components in a ritual, not active agents of change. But we've also seen how they were considered to be witches' familiars and in some places there were positive symbols of good. So why do people continue to fear them today? And I really do think that we kind of have to blame the vampire bat for this one. And there's a photo of one on my blog, which is at www.icsedgwick.com forward slash bats hyphen folklore, but the link is in the show notes. The vampire bat, I think, has quite a lot to answer for, but in a lot of ways it's also not its fault what people have ascribed to them. And there are only three species of vampire bat and they only live in Central and South America. And many of them are no bigger than about nine centimetres long. And they'd absolutely hardly be able to drain enough blood to kill a person. Apparently some of them take about a tablespoon from whatever they're feeding from. So you sort of think that's not really going to be enough to kill you. What might be a problem is the fact that they can spread diseases like rabies, although crystalwind.ca do point out that less than a half of 1% of all bats have rabies. So you do actually have more chance of getting it from an unvaccinated dog than you do a vampire bat. So hopefully that might set your mind at rest a little bit. And weirdly, and I was quite surprised to read this, vampire bats are actually really sociable and they groom each other and then if one of the bats in the colonies dies, the others will actually take on their orphaned young which doesn't really chime with the idea of a vicious killer now, does it? 
And I think this caring, gregarious side of the vampire bat is so far removed from Bram Stoker's Dracula. And there's lots of different origin stories for where the novel came from. And according to one of them, Stoker was inspired after learning about a person who'd allegedly been drained of blood by a vampire bat. And he just completely ignored the fact that vampire bats are far too small to take more than a tablespoon of blood and also don't live in Eastern Europe. But, you know, the idea stuck. And not only do bats figure in folklore, they're also subject to complete myths themselves. And I remember doing a ghost hunt somewhere and we were up in the attic of Kielder Castle and there was bats flying around because obviously that's what they do and they were really keeping down the mosquitoes and the midges in the area. So again, really helpful. All these girls kept getting really up in arms about like, oh, it's going to get caught in my hair. No, it's not. Bats are not going to get caught in your hair because they know precisely where you are. They've got no desire to get anywhere near you. So don't worry that a bat is going to get caught in your hair because it's not. And also they're not flying mice. That's another common myth. And obviously, as we've already discovered, they don't drink blood. So you're fine. Because in actuality, bats are pollinators. They are a form of pest control. As I say, they do eat things like mosquitoes, which obviously can spread other things like malaria. So really on balance, you know, the bat's quite useful. There's the dispersed seeds and they're a good indicator of the health of biodiversity in a particular system. So really, I think we'd be better off trying to help protect our furry flying friends instead of condemning them the way that unfortunately some people still do. And if you do like bats as much as I do, then you can support organisations like the Bat Conservation Trust to try and help boost their numbers, particularly in the UK. Now, that is the end of the bats episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As I say, I love bats. I think they're fantastic. And I think it's such a shame that people continue to believe things about them like, oh, they'll bite you, oh, they'll get caught in your hair and that kind of thing. Thankfully, I think a lot of the other superstitions do seem to have fallen by the wayside, which can only be a good thing. We are going to move on to the folklore of rats next week, which obviously another creature often coming out at night and another creature which is usually quite reviled. Although I think considering what they spread, there's probably a good reason for that. But we will be looking at rats next week and then we're going to round off the month with moths because they're just weird, weird, weird insects to start with. So as I said, I hope you enjoyed that and I will speak to you soon. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio.